good to see everyone this morning. I appreciate the men who have led our worship up to now. We come together on the first day of the week to do those things that we see prescribed to us in the New Testament, to sing and to, to pray, to gather around the table, to remember our Lord's death, to give back if we as, as we have prospered, and to hear a message from God's Word. It is such a blessing and a privilege to be able to come together on this first day of the week and to do that. I want to this morning consider some things. So I want to start off this way with just the idea of let us consider. You know, so much of scripture, it, it is commanded. Um, but there's also scripture that, that, uh, that pleads to us on an intellectual level, if you will. Let us consider. Think about these things. Meditate on this. God asks us to consider um, some things, especially when it comes to uh, how we might uh, behave. Uh, yes, we are told precisely how to behave in some instances, but sometimes we're, we're asked to consider some things. And so I, I want to approach this lesson in that way of, of let us consider, let's think about some things. And mainly what we want to talk about this morning is how we consider one another. So let's start off this way. Let's start with the negative first and get that out of the way. Let's think about some ways, let us consider some ways we can persecute one another. Because that is possible. It is possible for us to persecute. It is possible for us to, to put down and to, and to, and to really um, beat our brother down. It is possible for us to do that. Some ways that we can do that. One of those ways is we can do that out of ignorance. That is that we don't know our brethren. We don't know what our brethren might be going through. We don't know the circumstances in their life. We may not know um, why it is that they may be acting different towards us or acting different in general. And so this comes from just an I, the, the, the idea that we don't know our brethren. Over in Acts chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there, this is really the antithesis of this, but it, it, it proves the point. In Acts chapter 2, of course, this is the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up and, and delivers that message, and about 3,000 souls were saved that day because they responded to the message of repenting and, and being baptized. And in verse 44... It says, and all those who, have, who believed were together and had things in common, had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as any who might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, from the breaking of bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In that, you hear about a people that knew each other, day by day, house to house, sharing their meals together, having all things in common, celebrating the fellowship that they had. Those were brethren that knew each other because they were spending the time together. When we aren't spending time with our brethren outside of these four walls, we're missing opportunity. We're missing opportunity to understand what's going on in their life. 
how it is that we might be able to help them. Sure, we reach out to them and offer our help, but it takes more than that, doesn't it? It takes knowing our brethren so that we're not ignorant of the things that they have and, by, and, and, and the things that they are going through. And in so doing, we're not persecuting them because we're not there for their needs. So we can persecute one another by just simply not doing anything for them when they might need it. We can also be indifferent to their needs. Look over with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is here, here is dealing with um, basically idolatry and, and those things sacrificed to idols and, and, and how that could be a stumbling block for brethren. In chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians verse 1, it says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have knowledge. We, uh, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Paul is pointing out here that you know, knowledge is one thing. The love of God is something else. And if your knowledge of, of these things can, can cause brothers to stumble, then, then you're, you're not applying the love of God. Verse 4 says, Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there are no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us it is but one God, the Father, from whom all things as we exist to him, and one Lord Jesus by whom in all things we exist through him. So he's laying out the, the point here that there's really no idols because there's only one God. People may carve idols and, and make them and think that they're worshiping a God, but they're not. There's only one God. So he says in verse 7, However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to, to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend, commend us to God, we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. So the idea here, it doesn't matter, because there's no other gods but one God. So it doesn't matter with these meat sacrificed to idols, but it can be a stumbling block for someone. If you're indifferent to that person, then you're not demonstrating the love of God. Verse 10 says, For if someone sees you, who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened? To eat things sacrificed to idols? See, there's the problem. If someone thinks in their conscience it's not good to eat things sacrificed to idols, then that's up to him. But you can tear that down. Verse 11, For though through, through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined, the brother whose sake Christ died. And that's the thrust of this, is Christ died for us all. Don't be indifferent to your brother who Christ also died for. Because he should have the same opportunities as you do in his salvation. Don't tear him down because you're indifferent to him. Look back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Again, another issue that Paul's having to deal with here. This would be a sexual immorality that existed within the church there at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality is such... It did not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. See, there's the indifference again. 
or someone here is in an improper relationship and they're not doing anything about it. They're just overlooking it. Paul says, I'm not overlooking it. I've decided to turn this one over to, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And he says, I hope that in doing so that he'll be saved in the long run. Look down verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We can't be indifferent to our brethren, to, to sin. And the idea is overlooking sin it falls into this category of indifference. If my brother is sinning, and I'm okay with it, then I'm indifferent to it. And that's not good. Paul says, your boasting is not good. We need to make sure that if there is sin going on that we, that we know about with our brother, we need to make sure that we're not overlooking it. Because in so doing, we're persecuting him. He's not being told that what he's doing is wrong. And he needs to be. We can't overlook sin in each other's lives. We run a, a terrible risk of doing that, of, of not only for ourselves, but for that brother. Things like that need to be called out. And we're a good brother or sister to do so and not overlook sin. One last way that we'll look at in this, and that's just plain old out ill treatment. Go over to Galatians 5 with me. You know, we can be ignorant of not knowing our brother, not knowing what's going on in their, in their lives, or, or indifferent and just overlooking sin and not calling to the attention to it that needs to be. And then there's just treating our brethren badly. In Galatians 5, beginning verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, the idea here is being released from the law, giving the law of liberty of Christ. There's a lot of liberty in the law of Christ. Think about the the animal sacrifices and the feasts and all the things that they had been released from. There's a lot of liberty and a lot of freedom in that. But Paul says, be careful. In love serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, and here's the warning. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So there's the warning. Take care with your liberty. Don't use that as an opportunity to, to beat down your brother. Rather what? Love your brother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the warning is, okay, if you're going to bite and devour one another, don't be surprised when you get bit and devoured. That's not loving our neighbor. That's not treating them as we should. That's persecuting them. That's not considering our brethren as we should. Look over in James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4, some similar language here. Verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? In your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain... So you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. He goes on there about talking about praying and asking the right things. But what he's saying here is that you don't have something, so you bite and devour one another. You turn on each other. Down in verse 11, it says, Do not speak against each other, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are, a, not, a, uh, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. In other words, you're, you're taking the law into your own hands. You're not supposed to do that. God is judge. Let him be the judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and the judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? And he goes on to talk about praying in the right way. And, and, and if, we, if the Lord wills, we shall do this and that. And the idea is, is recognizing who God is. He's the lawgiver. He's the one who judges. We don't judge amongst ourselves, not in that way. You do not speak one against each other. So there's the ill treatment. Just plain old ill treatment. Plain old persecution of our brethren. And we're warned against it over and over. Many other examples that we could look at. Rather, let us consider ways we can encourage one another. If we look at those ways that, that we can mistreat our brethren, many more, there's also ways that we can encourage our brethren. And that's where we need to be focused. We need to be focused on what it is that we can do to encourage our brethren. First of all, we do it selflessly. And this is really the key to all this. Look in Philippians chapter 2. It's about putting others ahead of our own wants and needs. Having the kind of attitude behind all this is what's important. Philippians 2, beginning verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than, his, than himself. It's not just that we regard someone as more important than, than yourself, but the attitude behind it. It comes from a humble attitude, doing it out of humility. Not uh, selfishly, not conceitedly. Do it the right way. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of the others. That's what it takes, selflessness. Putting others' needs ahead of our own, but doing so with the proper attitude. Nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, humility of mind. That's how we start in this encouraging each other is get out of our own way. Make sure that we're doing out of a place of selflessness. We need to do it honorably. Look with me over in Romans chapter 12. You know, we, we ought to do these things in an honorable way as well. So we have the, the mindset, the attitude behind us that, that it's, it's, it's selfless, but people need to be treated with honor and dignity as well. Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in what? In honor. Give preference to one another in honor. Are we honoring our brethren? We honor them. Do we respect them and give preference to them out of a place of selflessness? 
Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We all have those things. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Oh, I need to go see this person this week, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. Are we lagging in our diligence? Paul says, don't, don't do that. Don't be, don't be behind in what you're supposed to be doing. You need to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We, we teach and preach these things all the time, don't we? When we think about it from this mindset of encouraging one another, that these actions encourage our brethren, maybe we'll look at it in a little different light. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. That one's difficult, isn't it? Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Again, all these come from that mindset of putting others ahead of ourselves. Getting out of our own way. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. That one's tough too, isn't it? To be peaceful, be at peace with all men. So much as depends on you. Some people aren't going to be at peace with you. But as far as you're concerned, you need to be at peace with all men. Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome... Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Do what is right. Do what is right in the sight of God. The rest of it will take care of itself. God will take vengeance. Leave room for him for do, to do that. He is the just God. He is the judge, as James told us over there in James chapter 4. Give him room to do that. Treat each other with honor. We also need to do the encouraging that we do in a loving manner. We need to do so lovingly. Look over in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12, beginning. And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Look at verse 14. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we have some actions there and some things that, that we can take care of, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving each other. If you have a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. But at the root of it, beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. If we love each other, if we love our neighbor, then all these things will fall into place. We will be selfless. We will give them honor. And we won't do those other things of ill treatment and, 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 and ignoring, overlooking sin. We're treating our brother uh, badly. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, 
singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We often, often come there to verse 16 as we defend the idea that we don't use instrumental music in the Lord's church. That it simply says to sing, to make melody with your heart. But think about what's, what that verse is, is in the context. He's talking about loving one another. He's talking about serving one another. Compassionate, kindness, humility, gentleness. If you don't have a, having, don't have a complaint against your brother. And in the middle of that, he says to sing with, to one another, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why would he put that in there? Does it give you a little bit more uh, insight into why it is we come together to sing on the first day of the week? Why? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual, heart, uh, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So buried in that is this, the, 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 the command to sing, but we're admonishing one another. We're encouraging one another, and we do that by singing. And I, I, this is the little mini sermon within the sermon, and the idea that sometimes we just open the book and, and we read the words and we sing. Are we teaching and admonishing each other with psalms and hymns? Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God? Do you think about it in, that and in those terms? That's the command. It's not just that we're just turning to the right page and saying the right words. We're encouraging our brethren. And think about the power of, of, of music and the power of song, how it can uplift you. And we join our voices together. So in this, when we're talking about encouraging one another is... The, is the idea of singing together. And that ought to give us a little bit more insight into singing and give us a little bit more uh, proper attitude when we do sing. We're not just doing it uh, to hear ourselves sing. We're encouraging one another. And let's do so. One last thing I'll leave you with. And that is when we're talking about considering we need to consider one another, period. Or exclamation point, as the, as the slide shows. We read there from Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider one another. So I like the idea, and this is where this whole lesson came from, from the idea of simply considering one another. So often we consider ourselves. Understandable. We live in such a society well, we're told over and over about you know, the virtue of selfishness. They won't ever tell you that, so many words. But get a better job, get a better car, get a better house, serve yourself, look out for yourself. The Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible says to consider one another. Put others' needs ahead of your own. Yeah, we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It says there in Philippians 2. We're responsible for maintaining our own vessel. We're, when we stand in judgment, we'll stand there alone to give an account for the things that we have done to, to Jesus, our judge, to God. But while we're on this earth, we need to consider one another. For all the, all the reasons we've mentioned uh, up to now, consider one another. Why? In order to stir up love and good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more the, uh, as you see the day approaching. There's always that the idea of, of a ticking clock, an urgency. As you see the day approaching. Now you might think, that, uh, or, or there may be a couple ways to think about that day that's, that the Hebrew writer is talking about. It could be the day, the last day. All the more. Exhort your brethren. Uh, as you see the day coming, uh, as you see the day approaching, stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Again, this is one of those verses where we come to, to encourage our brethren to come to services. Why? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. First day of the week, sure, we understand that. We come together, those things that we talked about, to worship God. Other times, are they not as important? Is it not as important to come to the gospel meeting that we had this past week? Where we had a brother that came and delivered messages every night. How important is that? How are we going to stir up love and good works if we're not here together to do so? Opportunities like that come along. And we ought to take advantage of them. We can assemble ourselves together and, and encourage one another. We sing. We pray together. But the old idea is considering one another. I might have something in my schedule, something, some legitimate reason why I can't be there. I'm sick or I'm out of town. Not speaking of those things. Talk about when we willfully neglect coming together when we have opportunity. Are we being considerate of others? It may be convenient for me not to go, but what about my brother? Or my sister, who could be encouraged by my presence there, by my singing voice, singing next to them, by my presence there as we're praying together. Are you being considered of one another? So in the final message here, let us consider one another. Again, we, we're in a selfish society. We're told over and over, we're beat down about looking out for number one. God would have us to understand that we need to love our neighbor. Love him, but love our neighbor. Be considerate of, of he or she. Be hospitable to that person. Be ready to, to help them. That means being involved in their lives. That means not overlooking sin that might be present in their life, but rather help them to address it. Help them to root it out of their life. And to do so selflessly and honorably and lovingly so that we can indeed consider our brethren, consider those around us, and give them the help that they need in this life. I'd be remiss if I didn't remind us of why ultimately we are here. We come here because Jesus Christ died for our sins. The gospel message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel message is that God had a plan by which He was going to save man from his sins. And He put that plan in action long ago. In 1 Corinthians 15, 
It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you, stand, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen to this. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. See, it was God's plan all along for Jesus to be put to death, to die for our sins, and to be raised on the third day as proof of God's power and as proof of God saving us indeed from our sins and giving us that opportunity for salvation. That's the gospel message. We wouldn't be here if those things had not taken place. And so as we close, we offer an invitation to those who are among us. If you have not responded to that gospel call, if you've not put on Christ through baptism, you have the opportunity today to do that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Upon hearing that word and believing in it, you recognize that there is something in your life you need to change, that you need to turn away from, that you need to repent from that old way of life. And upon doing that and confessing indeed who Jesus Christ is, that he is indeed the Son of God, that he has indeed come to the earth and has walked the earth and has left behind his word, that he was put to death on the cross, raised on the third day, recognizing that he is indeed the Son of God. Then you're ready to be baptized, washing away your sins, coming up out of the water a new creature to walk in newness of life. And then we have but one thing left to do, and that is to be faithful until death, to remain faithful to God and receive that crown when this life is over. If you're subject to the gospel message, we can help you with that. If you're a child of God and you're not considering each other as you should, or one another as you should, or your brothers or sisters as you should, I would encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life to do so. Whatever your needs might be, we can, let you, we can help you by coming forward as we stand and sing.